This program is sponsored by Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts. Located on 185 Worcester Street, right on Route 9, they can be reached at 508-545-8105 or at wickedchronicvendorcommerce.com. Wicked Chronic is a boutique-style retail shop that focuses on selling counterculture products such as Wiccan cannabis cultures coming together in a unique setting. You need something for that special spell? Go on down to Wicked Chronic in Natick, Massachusetts and speak to Beverly. Tell them Dr. Chris sent you. Check them out today. to the Dead TV Podcast, podcast dedicated to all the canceled television series and science fiction, fantasy, and horror genre. I am your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Mr. Seneca. And tonight we are covering Adam's Family episodes 20. 22 and 23. 22 and 23, which is the ending of volume... Whoa, that's still playing. Which is the ending of volume one of the DVD set and the beginning of volume two of the DVD set, but still within season one. Yes, uh, and this is actually featuring your favorite episode, Amnesia and the Addams Family, right, Dr. Chris? Yes, I do like this episode because I think it's the episode I probably either remember the most or it was the first time I ever watched the Addams Family. I'm not 100% sure on that memory, but uh, yeah. This also is a self-contained episode of everything happens in the house and no guest stars whatsoever. Yes, the rarity that is. Yeah, usually it's it's... Uh, a lot of the plots happen in the house, but there's always somebody stopping by to uh, to do something with the Adams family, uh, like yeah, a celebrity guest to, star for the episode, like we had with uh, Fred Flintstone. Yes, yeah, you know, to show the contrast of the Adams family to regular normal people. Right. So, um, why don't we jump right to it? Well, I've got a bit of a story for our leaders, our uh, listeners here. Uh, the show that almost never was. So, you know, I've done the focus areas with the characters, and now I'm moving on to some more, like, you know, deep Charles Adams stuff. Uh, this story, though, is about one person that I haven't really mentioned yet, the ex-wife of Charles Adams. His second wife, Lady Barbara E. Barb Coylton, a shrewd lawyer and a pain in his ass. I am not surprised that Charles Adams was married more than once. He was actually married three times. I'm not surprised he was uh, married more than twice. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, the last one stuck, and uh, that was T. Adams. Um, the second wife uh, was a lawyer, and now her notoriety in the legal system of the time was that you know she'd pop into the room and immediately everyone gets a headache. When David Levy, uh, the independent TV producer and former VP of programming at NBC, approached Charles Adams, he was worried putting, uh, well, Charles Adams was worried about putting them on TV might make the family look strange and kind of ruin his characters. But David Levy won over Charles Adams and things began to move forward. By September 1st, 1963, there was a preliminary agreement for the TV show. In a nutshell, Charles Adams was to get $1,000 for each episode, plus an advance of $3,000 and 50% of net proceeds from merchandising, or 30% of the gross, whichever was greater. It was a good deal. Like, for the time, it was a good deal. Uh, then the ex-wife stepped in. Bah, bah, bah. Uh, she had the habit of getting Charles Adams to just sign things. You know, he was a kind of a loving, trusting guy, so he would just sign things and uh, give her the rights over things, and he, he was tricked into signing. So uh, he was actually mm, partially tricked into signing over the rights to the Adams family in 1960 to her. Barbara had partial rights and went absolutely crazy upon hearing that there was a, a TV negotiation. She inserted herself, like she warned herself, into the contract negotiations, raising a complete stink about them. When David Levy, uh, Charles Adams and his lawyer, Harriet Pilpel, uh, finally pacified uh, Barbara, she actually got 10% of everything Charles Adams was to get, quote, of all sums due owner, end quote. She ended up getting another 10% out of Charles because he was just wanting to get her off of his back. His kind of sweetness kind of did that to him. Uh, she continued to be a borderline abusive personality in his life. You know, there was, she was interested in the money. Uh, I may get into just how abusive or manipulative she is with Charles a little later, but that's a different show, if I get around to it all. Um, there's just lots of nasty stuff in there. Nevertheless, the not TV really show might not have happened if she wasn't able to be pacified. Well, she sounds like an upstanding citizen, and uh, we're probably better off that she's dead now. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Sounds like um, quite the, um, uh, the uh, not winning any Mother's Day of the Year awards and kind of a bitch. So, um... so by April 14th, 1964, all contracts were signed with only a minimal amount of bitching from Barbara. The payment to her, uh, which would show upon her tax return, and that's one of the points that she kept complaining about, because she wanted the money to go through her company instead of through her personally, uh, but she just had to deal with it because they never changed it. It, it took two different scripts to get one that uh, ABC would approve of, and I'm not sure if the, those particular scripts are the ones mentioned in, in Carolyn Jones's biography, as referenced by Carol Henning, Mitch Persons, and junior publicist Ed King. Uh, the trio made uh, Lurch and the Teenage Idol episode and Cousin is Problems, but I'm not sure if they were also responsible for the second script. It's kind of um, you know, fluid in, in her biography. And then the story of Barbara Barr was from uh, Cartoonist Life, Charles Adams by Linda H. Davis, which is a great read. But there's varying accounts in both of those books. The final product of what you see and what the lawyers said 
upon seeing the pilot episode was that the, the lawyers really, really loved it. They laughed hilariously at it. But Charles Adams was a little disappointed uh, that they, uh, quote, turned into a typical suburban family. Not half as evil as my original characters, he said. Um, my people have that togetherness, too, but in a different way. So it's a little different, but I particularly like the television show character characterizations. That's my story today. <laughs> uh, music we played is from the Adams Family 90s animated series, which, God, looks so much better than the animation that we have in the upcoming movie. I know. I, I love the 90s show, the 90s animated cartoon. Yeah, everyone everyone moved like they were on uh, like they were like a Looney Tunes character in that cartoon. Whereas in the original Hanna Barbera cartoon, it was very stiff, very much like original Scooby Doo. Mhm. So uh, today, the Adams Family, Amnesia Am and the Adams Family. Amnesia and the Adams Family originally aired February nineteenth, nineteen sixty five. An accident with his new set of old Indian clubs gives Gomez amnesia and a complete shift in aesthetics. It unfortunately coincides with the new million-dollar double indemnity insurance policy he's just drawn up to benefit Morticia, causing the, the amnesiac Gomez, aghast at his macabre home and family, to think that his life is in jeopardy. A second blow on the, upon the head might return to normal. Unfortunately, but for, for Gomez, there are plenty of clubs and just as many loving family members skulking about, keen to restore his sanity. Ah, so this is a, a pretty wild episode. This is also the first episode where we get inner monologue dialogue. Yeah, which we is don't normally get that. Also, it's a very um, because Gomez mm -hmm. is so in and out of it for most of the episode, and yeah, he is the focus point. It's Carolyn's. Uh, it, it's more like a Carolyn-centered episode. Like the perspective is from her point of view, so she has a lot of dialogue in this episode. She does because you know she is kind of wrestling with Gomez's changes, and every time that he is restored back. Uh, you know, she kind of has this uh, joyous look about her, and then when she realizes that he's again, you know, amnesiac, she is just so sullen. Uh, she does a lot of yo-yoing and emotions with this, which is a very good thing to say. Do you ever put toadstools in your omelet? No, because I don't actually like mushrooms. Oh. Um, so what did you take when you came on the airport? Huh? What 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 did you take when you had the when you were um Well that, that's a gummy. Oh that was just a gummy, okay. Um gummy. the uh the pet's name uh for Wednesday's little uh uh what 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 was that, by the way? It was that um a chameleon? No, it was a oh, lizard. A gecko. A gecko, yeah. Lucifer. Lucifer, yeah. Which Lucifer just, the lizard. Which just returned on Netflix. Oh, it did. Nice. Yeah, it came out this week, which I was really excited about. So I've got like two episodes in. It's like ten episodes for the fourth season of the canceled Fox show, which Netflix just picked up. Nice. Uh, so in this episode, uh, Gomez starts off this whole process by kind of knocking him upside his head with one of those Indian clubs. Mm. Which, uh, what are Indian clubs? Indian clubs, it's basically like uh, the... Modern equivalent would be what you would call a kettlebell, mm -hmm. but it is a weighted club that you'd swing around for, uh, you know, like calisthenic workouts, stuff like that. So it's a, a weight with a handle on it, and because the club is long, the weight is uh, kind of out from your hand in the center of gravity. You swing them around, so like kettlebells, you swing them around, and that's supposed to give you a good workout. 
It's really popular in like the 1920s. Mm, okay. I wasn't familiar with what they were until I ever saw this episode, but I do remember that being the big plot line of what was happening. Um, everyone yeah. tries to get to to help Gomez. Of course, he's aghast at like how everything is and the way Morticia dresses. And he he says to Wednesday how much he, he'll he'll buy her a puppy, and she's like, "Why? What did I do wrong?" <laughs> I'm surprised Why they wouldn't even own punished to the puppy. <laughs> I'm surprised they wouldn't even own like a Doberman, which would be a perfect dog for that to fit into the Adams family because a Doberman's always used in like satanic or vampire movies as like a devil's dog. You know what I mean? Because it's got that look to it. Yeah, it's got the long pointy snout and the pointy ears that stand straight up, and and they're very vicious if you train them that way. Mm-hmm. But it's like everyone seems to get on and get in on trying to help uh, Gomez. It would have been funnier if somebody had showed up at the house to help like measure Morticia's uh, body and then like get dresses made for her. That I think I think that's that's a gag that was that was definitely missed. You know what I mean? We could have gotten like Morticia's measurements. We could have gotten some. You know some oh. some of the sly innuendo that we get from uh you know that you know that 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 type of uh you know the very Adams Family sixties humor we would get from it. Yeah, yeah. Although I, I mean, I would love that type of scene, but the humor of just having her surrounded by these floofy, you know, parasols and dresses and the look of disgust on her face is amazing. <laughs> what does Bubalo it, mean? It's called. It's called. It's it's said a lot in the show because it's it's it's. Morticia's nickname for Gomez. Bubula? Yes. I mean, his, uh, his nickname I, for her is Tish, which is short for Morticia, but Bubula doesn't sound like Gomez Adams in any way. No, I, I think it's actually just a, a name. I, I think it's just a pet name. No, I stumped Mistress Zedeka with her yeah. infinite knowledge well, of the Abs family. Tisk, Tisk, Zedeka. Uh, okay. <laughs> I will have it next week. Yeah, you're uh, yeah, better. If there's an act, if there's an actual translation, I That's don't think that's right. You will <laughs> depending <laughs> on you for this stuff, and you drop the ball like a Red Sox hey. baseball player. Okay. Um, what is hey, the, you know, you asked you asked about the, a Butler salary last week, and I have the figures this week. Oh, what's the Butler salary? Okay, yeah, what's the Butler salary in the 1960s? Okay, the av- the average wage in 1964 was uh, $4,576 a year. Uh, according to the census at the time, it could be between that and 6200 Wow, that's not that much. No. No. What is the name of the movie that the uh, Grandma Ma says she's going to take the children to? <laughs> oh. Oh, you didn't catch it? I have it. I just want to know if you... Okay, if you I, I didn't write that one down. The Batwoman from Outer Space. <laughs> <laughs> now, at least they're true to life. Okay, so well, there's never been a Batwoman for outer space. Um, there is two things on IMDb that come up with Batwoman that's not pornography. Um, okay, because there is Batwoman pornography. Of course, there is. I mean, Batwoman even before she was a lesbian superhero uh, fighting crime in Gotham City, there was Batwoman pornography. But we're not going to get into that. There was a movie in the 1968, which is 1964, so we're a little far off. She's wearing what looks like, um, what's-her-name's bikini from the Batman TV series. Um, I almost said Barbara Eden, but that's I Dream of Jeannie. Um, Yvonne Craig? Uh, Right? That was Batgirl. That was Batgirl. Sorry, that was Batgirl. That was Barbara Gordon. Yeah. So there was a Batwoman movie in 1968. So we're about three years off from when Grandma Mom would be taking to the kids. Uh, Batwoman is called to investigate a whacked-out scientist that is capturing wrestlers and using their spinal fluid to create a gill man. 
Mm. Now, there was a movie called The Wild World of Batwoman, which was season five, episode, the second episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000 that Mike Nelson would take over for, uh, which is not the movie that, that she would probably take him to. This is like women in their bathing suits who fight crime for a woman named Batwoman who drinks blood. Mm. Wow. And, of course, starting on the CW later this year is the lesbian superhero, Kate Kane, who seeks justice in Gotham City um, after the absence of her cousin, Bruce Wayne. Okay, now, are they actually advertising it, lesbian superhero? They're never going to say lesbian in any of the advertising okay. marketing, but, she, but, but every fan knows that Batwoman is gay. And she's okay, Jewish. Okay, okay. And she's a I redhead. I just want to know if they're using it in their advertising. Uh, no. They will never say that, but they will probably be... She will be gay on the show. I mean, that would mm-hmm. be, like, a huge loss of your audience if you if you're their, their one gay big superhero in DC Comics isn't, like, actually made gay on the show. But she is Bruce Wayne's cousin. She's currently running Wayne Industries. She was introduced in the big crossover event this past year. Uh, I forget... Uh, da, da, da. Who's playing her? Um... <sighs> Ruby Rose is playing her from The Meg. Hmm. She was also on uh, Orange is the New Black, where she played a bisexual character. And she's in okay. John Wick 2. She played Ares in John Wick 2. Uh, she's always known for having like really short hair, a lot of tattoos, and a very kind of like take no, take no prisoners, very kind of, you know, uh, queen bee attitude. I dig it. Yeah. I dig it. But she's going to be like a, really covered up in the show with a wig on because she's going to obviously hide her identity. Um, yeah. She uh, she kind of flirts with Supergirl a little bit because you know who wouldn't. <laughs> but I wanted yeah. to point out the movies that came out in 1965. I'm not going to go through all of them because it's a long year. But without looking, what were the top five grossing movies of 1965? 1965. Without um, looking, you can't look. Maybe a, bon- a Bond movie in there. There's a Bond movie in there. Yep, there was all. <laughs> there's a Bond movie almost every year in the 60s. Yeah, I know. So this. Okay, so the number um, one movie of 1965 was. The Sound of Music. The Sound of Music came out? 1965. Julia Adams. Huh. Uh, sorry, Julie, Julie Andrews. Christopher Plummer. Yep. Directed by Robert Weiss. Number two movie of 1965 was, you were correct, Thunderball. Starring Sean Connery. Directed by Terrence Young. Nice. The th- number three movie, for a few dollars more, starring Clint Eastwood. Mm. Part of his okay. spaghetti western uh, genre. Yeah. Dr. Zago, number four. Number five, huh. the greatest story never. To- uh, sorry, the greatest story ever told. Okay. Number six and seven, I don't know what these are. Number eight, the Great Race. Number ten. What, what, what were the six or and seven ones? Uh, Repulsion and the Sons of Katie Elder. Weird. Okay. okay, but here's the movie she probably could have taken the kids to. I don't know when it came out, but this is the movie that was kind of like early Alien. Planet of the Vampires. Ooh. Which Life Force also takes some, like, you know, attributes to. After landing on a mysterious planet, a team of astronauts begin to turn on each other, swayed by uncertain influences of the planet and its strange inhabitants. Directed by Mario Bava. Huh. Okay. I believe this is one of the movies that influenced, like, Alien and um, Life Force, which is that, you know, naked chick vampire movie directed by Toby Hooper. So you think this one is the more likely that uh, Grandmama would have taken the kids to? Probably, definitely, definitely. Mario Bava horror science fiction movie, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we also had Faster Pussycat Kill Kill come out that year. Very famous uh, <laughs> <laughs> exploitation movie. The Flight of the Phoenix about a plane crash lands in the Sahara and the survivors have to redesign the plane to get away. 
Um, <laughs> the Collector, not to be confused with the horror movie. Um, Village of the Giants, an MST3K classic. What's New Pussycat? Portrait whoa, and Terror. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The Possessed. Long before we had The Exorcist, we had The Possessed. Maybe the prequel to Crocodile Dundee? Major Dundee. <laughs> Um, a movie my son has seen multiple times, Godzilla vs. Monster Zero, otherwise known as Godzilla vs. King Ghidorah. Nice. Yes. I'm looking forward to that new Godzilla film. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and that's pretty much it for any movies that I can think. I'm not going to, I mean, there, there's like 2,000 movies that came out in the, the 10 years. Yeah, of, that's good enough. Yeah, that's, that's good, good enough. enough. We're, we're <laughs> but just, those are some <laughs> of the movies, but I believe The Planet of the Vampires, if you've never seen it, I'd highly recommend checking out. It's a Mario Bava movie. And it's hmm. very, again, I, I, I'm almost positive this is the movie that it was like, you know, got like influenced like Life Force and Alien in a way. Uh, hmm. I know Life Force is based on a novel, but, um, it it's got like you know like they go up into space they bring something back with them and kind of fucks up the crew kind of story okay which is what happens in both life force and alien you know whereas in life force she so, like she like sucks the energy out of people with her awesome naked body <laughs> <laughs> sorry so, i love so life force when when gomez is now not under the influence of his amnesia you know he's his normal self and uh, but when he is under amnesia, he keeps accusing Morticia of trying to kill him for the insurance money. And Morticia says, uh, "You must believe me, Gomez. I would no more harm you than a vulture in its nest." He said, "Because she's so kind to animals." Mm. Then of course the vultures—they're circling already. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I I did do a little bit of research on amnesia because this is one of those favorite television and movie tropes, you know. Yeah, you Someone gets get hit on the head. Easily. Yeah. Uh so the way memories work and I'm not sure if you're you're aware, but the the way memories work is that these electrical impulses go through your brain and it either changes the neurons or forms connections. The more those connections are used, the stronger that impression is. And then that transforms into a long-term memory. So from short-term is like a couple minutes to intermediate, which is up to a week, and then long-term is after that. The more those connections are used, the stronger the memory becomes. A knock on the head will actually temporarily, potentially, you know, temporarily uh, remove your ability to access the memories because if you consider it that it is an electrical impulse, when that connection has been severed by that blow to the head. You know, the brain's been knocked around inside the skull, concussion and whatnot. It is trying to locate where those, you know, plugs are for those electrical impulses. And sometimes it takes a little while. Like after an auto accident, you might not have clear memories for, you know, a good 10 minutes or so if you were knocked around. The types of amnesia usually portrayed in television and movies is either the anterograde amnesia, meaning the person can't remember new information, like in Memento, or like this one, which is retrograde amnesia, where the person can't remember events before the incident. Usually this type of thing gets resolved on its own. A knock to the head will not restore memories because of the way it works, is that uh, when you actually get a concussion or get this uh, traumatic amnesia blow, it's causing brain damage to the structures of the limbic system, the hippocampus and the thalamus. So the brain is actually swollen in, in effect. 
if the if the knock is hard enough. So another blow to the head won't fix that. Uh, it might make it worse. And uh, there's really just time and uh, uh, bringing back memories of pictures, photographs, sense, you know, to help tr- kind of trigger and recalibrate where those electrical impulses are supposed to go in the brain and therapy. And that's really the only cure. There's no instantaneous cure for amnesia. It just takes time. It's a common um, trope in in television for a 45-minute episode. I mean, every uh, every kind of genre show, I think, has done it at one time oh, or another. Yeah. Quantum Leap, various Superman shows, yeah. uh, various superhero shows in general. You know, it, it's like... It kind of gets overplayed because you're just like, oh boy, here we go with this or whatever. I don't think Supernatural yeah. has done it, but uh, yeah, it's 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 a Such stupid a trope, trope, especially when you grow up and you know how things work in, in the world or whatever. It's like, okay, this is dumb. When as a kid, you're like, ah ha ha, this is funny. Oh no, they're gonna spend the next twenty minutes trying to get them to remember. So it's also a quick like flashback episode sometimes. Mm-hmm. So it's basically their way of like not having to film a whole episode because it's a bunch of clips from previous episodes. Yeah, 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 lazy, lazy writing. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. So, but uh, then, then Uncle Fester loses his memory. Who, at the, by the end of the episode, still has his memory loss. Yeah, because that was done in basically a switcheroo because Morticia couldn't hit Gomez on the head while looking at him. So Fester convinced Gomez to hide behind a curtain with him, and Morticia clocks Fester instead of Gomez, and therefore, like the switcheroo happens again, and Fester lost his memory. Who's Fester? Yeah. Ba, 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 ba. <laughs> Jinx and Sue. Yeah, it, it's a really funny episode. I, when uh, Morticia uh, is told to call him a doll boy, just this the the way that she pronounced it. Okay, doll boy. <laughs> I liked what um, uh, Morticia was feeding her plant as uh, hamburgers. Mm-hmm. Looks like meatballs, though. I mean, it's in black and white, so it's really hard to tell. But they didn't look like hamburgers. I'm thinking like someone serving something hamburgers. I mean, it's, yeah, it, it's like it's it, it, they are like. And so the next episode is the thing is missing, which is episode one of volume two of the second collection of second the Adam disc set. Yeah. So on the second collection, which I don't have handy with me, but I wanted to watch the commentary until I realized it was just. Sign language and cousin it going, and I'm like, nope, okay, I'm not doing this because as much as I like cousin it, I could not sit there for a half an hour watching him going, no, thank you, whatsoever. I think it's cute they do the sign language thing if that's even sign language that that thing is doing, but that is the commentary now for the next several episodes for this for this box set until we get to season two. I think we get back to the, the Adams family historian that was on season one. I really like that guy in the show because he's got to be still alive because that box set's only like a few years old so oh yes Stephen Cox is still alive we seem to be doing a lot of CBS shows maybe we get CBS to sponsor us we did Friday the 13th we got the Addams Family happening right now we're gonna do War of the Worlds I'm seeing a theme here with uh, the amount of uh, coverage we're giving CBS by the way I'm not sure that Adams was CBS uh, it's a CBS DVD set oh well they might own it now <laughs> <laughs> originally I, it wasn't. Why? What channel was it originally on? Uh, let's see. It was, I believe, an NBC. Uh, looks like I have some of these books. It's ABC. Originally ABC TV. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, now it's owned by CBS. 
So, uh, episode 23 of season one, Thing is Missing, originally aired March 5th, 1965. When Thing goes missing, the family discovers he's been Thingnapped. Gomez spearheads an investigation when Thing disappears. So, in this one, we have a private investigator. Yeah. Uh, before we get to the private investigator, there is a... Uh, I wanted to point out about Wednesday's toy bat. Mm-hmm. Well, you just don't see that. that. <laughs> you don't really see that that, that often. What? Oh, her her toy bat? Yeah, how many kids do you know have a toy bat that plays it with like that? It's usually like dolls or bears. Well, I mean, I have a little... Uh, the niece of my partner, Ripley, you know, who is actually named for Ripley, the character from Aliens, uh, oh Rip- really? Ripley- <laughs> yes, yes. She was actually named after Ripley. Oh my god! Uh, and her middle funny. name is his Audrey after Audrey to the plant. Uh, so yes, she does have bats uh, that she plays with. Huh? Yeah, she's That's one adorable. of those creepy kids. That's adorable. Did you um, did you get her a um, a um... oh? Before I forget, uh, we're recording this on Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Oh, thank you. Thank um, you. Did you get her? A, you should get her a chest burster. We did. We got her the chest burster and the face hugger, but she's not allowed to play with them until she's old enough. Oh, okay. Have you, has she seen Alien? Yes. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, her parents are also uh, horror freaks, so like their whole house is decorated to like freaking awesomeness, and she's one of the coolest little kids I know. Uh, oh, that's my did you hear about the alien play that uh, the high school put on? Yes, that's amazing. And they got they got they only did one showing because of their budget, and then Ridley Scott gave them money to do a second showing, and the second showing, Sigourney Weaver went to it. Oh, <laughs> yes. And she took photos with the entire cast and crew. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, Ridley Scott. Of course, you know, he's probably not going to fly all the way out from England where he lives to go to this mm-hmm. high school production of Alien. But when he heard about it, he immediately wired them a check for, like, like some absurd amount of money. You know what I mean? Awesome. Not, not a lot. Not a huge amount, but not enough to do one more production. You know, because... Better was, than Greece, I'll tell you he, that. He was, oh, God. You know what? I, 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 I said to somebody the other day, um, it was... Uh, I said to somebody the other day when I went and saw Avengers Endgame for the third time that give it like 10 or 20, 30 years, they'll make the Avengers into like a four, you know, like like some high school will start the the Avengers production with um, the uh, start with like the freshman class, sophomore, junior, senior. So by the time they're seniors, they'll do like Endgame, but they'll start with like Iron Man, Captain America and Thor's origin, you know, play. And then the second, you know, they'll do the phases of, like, the Marvel Universe through high school. I guarantee somebody in high school is doing an Avenger production at some point. <laughs> they're not uh, going to want to do Sound of Music. They're not going to want to do Grease, or they're not going to want to do Bye Bye Birdie, or Pippin, or Wizard of oh, Oz. Yeah. None of that. They're going to want to do Yons. the Avengers. Yes. They're going to want to dress I, up. I, I agree with you. Yeah, totally. So, All right, on to the episode. <laughs> Okay, so the episode really begins off with them doing a hairbrushing daisy chain, which is pretty fun, you know, a whole family activity, brushing everyone's hair. But Thing gets pissed off because uh, Fester complains a little bit about the back scratcher that Thing is using on his head, and he just throws the back scratcher and basically slams his, his box and stomps away. 
And that basically colors the episode. And each person of the family gets kind of ticked off at Thing, and Thing it runs away. But then they suspect he was Thingnapped. Uh, that was a dumb joke when I heard it in the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> thing T thing, yes. Uh, so they hire the greatest but, private investigator of all time. I have his name written Sam down. Sam Diamond. Sam Diamond, who definitely sounds like a gumshoe that you would see in like a. Uh, oh yeah. An old, yeah. Uh, you know, an old, uh, you know, an old uh, detective show. Yeah, like like the Sam Spade. You know, it's same type of thing. I don't know why Sam is such a strong detective first name, but it is. It's used a lot. Uh, that actor was 82 years old when he passed away in 2004 and was played by Tommy Farrell. Um, uh, was on uh, Heart to Heart and Here's Lucy, which is, I'm assuming, the I Love Lucy follow-up show. Uh, Perry Mason, uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. He was on an episode of the Beverly Hillbillies. The Adventures of Rin Tin Tin. Let's see, I'm trying to pick out stuff that I've seen. Oh, he was in the first ever in theaters Superman movie, Adam Man versus Super. No, I'm sorry, that's not it. That's a that's the. Damn it, I screwed that up. The first Superman movie movie was Superman versus the Mole Man. This is the uh, I think the serial Adam Man versus Superman. He had a long career that uh, started back in 1944. Yeah, definitely. With uh, a, a uncredited at the time, but a, something called Winged Victory. Not sure if that's yeah, a movie. Yeah, I'm not, uh, yeah. So I, I kind of, again, picked out what I knew of uh, stuff yeah. that I've seen or at least heard of. <laughs> yeah, he he definitely fulfills the detective look about him. Yeah, because uh, I love the way Gomez and Morticia like describe him as like, oh, he's always wearing a trench coat. I'm like, well, that could be any private investigator. I thought they were going to say Sherlock Holmes for a minute there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, the tropes tend to come out in the Adams Family since it's a very campy show, but that one did not come out. So they insist on paying Sam Diamond with diamonds from their diamond mine, although he ends up at the very end of the episode giving them back the diamonds just to get out of the whole deal, because having the hand come up out of the cemetery plot just kind of freaked him out. And then they put the ad out there, or the ad, the uh, you know, the wanted, uh, you know, looking for um, for things. And a homeless man brings them a bunch of things, and he, they pay him two hundred fifty dollars. But I'm trying to figure out like what uh, what the garbage is that the homeless person brought to him, or he's a junk collector. Oh, it looked. Maybe yeah, he's, not homeless. he's he's a junk collector. I think uh, it looked like the immediate thing in Morticia's hands looked like an octopus fez hat. Kind of looks like a fez hat with some octopus legs covered in fur with an eyeball on it. Definitely fulfills the, the description of a thing, but it's not their thing. Lots of unique objects, I have to say. You know, it seemed like there was more than just uh, standard-of-the-mill junk. But turns out that the entire plot was Thing uh, putting himself up for ransom as a test to see how the Atoms would, if they would pay for him and if they valued him and cared for him enough to actually pay for it, which they did. But it is of my opinion that you never test someone uh, without their knowledge because you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. You know, if they didn't go the route where, you know, they were going to pay the ransom, they would have probably gone through the police and then that wouldn't have completed his little 
imaginary test. So, anyway, Thing comes back and people respect him a little bit more for being Thing. <laughs> the guest stars that we had for the episode were better than the actual plot of the episode of Thing disappearing. Because it's like, okay, so he's just a hand running around? Is it like in the Addams Family movie? Well, it, you know, since the movie, they... Well, wait a minute, since... When did they actually start doing the thing as a disembodied hand? Um, By the way, is the uh, the guy who shows up with the junk, is that Charles Wagenham? Wagenheim? Uh, I think so. I think that's Mr. Boswell, as they called him. So, yeah, that would be the junk junk dealer. Charles Wagenheim. He was in a movie called The House on Telegraph Hill, which I have seen. He was in The Six Million Dollar Man. Um, the Untouchables, very well known. The Lawless Years, Alfred Hitchcock Presents. Um, has a career going all the way back. I mean, this guy's IMDb goes all the way back to 1929. A lot of these people had IMDb's that are just go on and on and on and on. It's amazing. Just seasoned TV vets. Um, uh, he his last title was actually a the role of the bum in All in the Family in 1979. Yeah, so good guy though. Seems lots of different things on his resume. Did you notice that uh, one of the gifts that is given to Thing is an ocarina? And he goes into his box, and then it starts playing. So even by accordance of the show, Thing must have some sort of respiratory system in order to play an ocarina. So it makes me wonder what type of, <laughs> what type of body would produce a mouth enough so that Thing could blow in and out on an ocarina and still magically transport himself from box to box. Maybe it's the wind passing with his tunnel because they, they yell down into that uh, bottomless <laughs> tunnel. I've been giving it a lot of thought and I'm thinking that perhaps the Adams family and their you know, close associates and whatnot have mastered the art of dimension shifting. And I, I bring this up because Something as, as like, Thing being able to ride in the glove compartment of the car, as they mentioned in the last part of the episode, and then having Thing's box be just this empty, bottomless pit hole that echoes, that is kind of, and gives me the impression that these are either different dimensions or these are, like, pocket dimensions where Thing lives in a little pocket dimension that he's able to come out of each of these boxes of the glove compartment. So what if the Adams family could basically dimensional shift or like in in the book Stranger in a Strange Land have so intimate control over your own molecules and your own being that things such as your appearance or your susceptibility to poisons or any of that type of thing wouldn't actually be harmful because you're such in control of yourself. I don't know, it's just an idea that I'm tossing around. Gotcha. Well, that's pretty much the notes I had for this episode. I had bigger notes for the last one, only because we got into the big IMDb movie trivia, which, uh, oh, by the way, I wanted to point out the, the movie She. Have you ever seen that? Also came out that year. No, I did not. Really? you got to look up She. It's like one of those like really femme fatale kind of movie hmm. stars, Ursula Andrews. Oh, okay. And Peter Cushing. Yeah. And, and uh, Orgy of the Dead also came out, which is a movie right up your alley. Oh, that that is a good one. That is a good one. <laughs> of course you've seen that. Of course you've seen that. Again, that's pretty much all the notes I have for the Thing uh, Goes Missing episode. It, it was not as great as the Amnesia episode, but we actually had a couple guest stars, so that's what made it a little bit more fulfilling. 
<laughs> also, the first time Gomez doesn't dress up in a striped suit or a bathrobe, or you know, he's, he's usually in the house coat. Well, he he did dress once for moonbathing, you know, in the striped bathing costume. So right, he and does it looks dress like Morticia is still wearing the same often. dress, but with like a boa on. A boa and a um, tiara. Right, definitely. To show that it's a little more fancier. Right, 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 right. Again, that's pretty much all the notes I have. Don't forget you can check us out on the Dead TV Podcast Facebook page as well as Elegantly Kinky and Chris D S A V on Twitter. Um, you can find this episode, as I've mentioned, on the second disc, sorry, the first disc of Volume 2 of The Addams Family. As We're still in Season 1, though. I guess you can only cram so many episodes into those three discs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they have to end a disc at some point. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, everybody. Good night.